She sang, he spoke. He was reciting from his prepared remarks. And Mahalia Jackson yelled up, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And so one of our most favorite, beloved pieces of secular scripture in America came up in just that moment. This is very humbling for a preacher to realize. And finally, the ruby red slippers. There's no place like home from Dorothy, from the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home giving voice to that urging, that stirring, that near universal belonging, that desire for home that so many of us, whether home means for you a place, a people, something you haven't discovered yet, this yearning for home deep inside so many of our hearts. So let me also show you something today that's one of the most important single sentences in my life because I wrote it. (laughs) Knowing is sexy. Learning is sexier. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Now, you know where this comes from? Fill in the blank. From the personal online ad salon.com through which I met my wife, Teresa. And I, taking all of about 15 seconds to think about this, said, okay, knowing is kind of sexy. Learning is sexier. And she let me know that also it was my look, my boyish charm, as she put it, from what she could perceive. But also the fact that she was a writer as well, too. And she thought, damn, I wish I had written that. And so that is one of the most important sentences in my life because it helped me meet the person who is most beloved to me. By the way, her uh, tagline uh, online was rabbit ears. Some of you might know she has rabbits. She works in television. It's a natural fit. So I wrote those words long time ago, and they are important to me. And in fact, they have intensified in terms of their importance. And I take out the sexy and sexier thing and put it this way in my life right now. Knowing can help us, but learning, learning can save us. This is the message at the heart of today's Spirit Flicks movie. The series we do throughout the summer, Reverend Lee and myself, about finding the deeper meanings in so many of the stories that we find on big and small screens all throughout our lives. This is about Dory. Dory, who many of us know from Finding Nemo. There's Nemo and Marlin. What's that guy, like 20 years almost or so ago? When this gigantic Pixar hit came out and Dory was one of the kind of sub characters, still a really important one. Dory, who lives still in our current time with a significant cognitive impairment. She cannot retain short term memories. The very few things she remembers about herself, she remembers her friends But she really doesn't remember moment to moment exactly what happened the moment before. So this is a follow up to Finding Nemo. And they show up here, as I said. And the beginning of this movie, Dory, 
has this sudden realization that she, at one point in the way, way, way past, had a family that was beloved to her. And all of a sudden she has this yearning to get home, to find her parents, to find something about who she is, and to remember that there are people who brought her into this world that love her. This quest to find home, it is one of the most universal urges many of us feel, especially if we know what it's like to be lost. Now, most of this movie, if you haven't seen it, takes place at a uh, ocean life sanctuary where the words or the voice of Sigourney Weaver, who shows up all the time throughout all these Pixar movies, says it's about rescue and rehab and then release. This is the world's first animated rehab fish comedy. (laughs) I'm a fan of rehab comedies. So here's the thing. All the other fish that she finds there in this sanctuary, all being rescued, all rehabbing, all hoping for release. All of them have had struggles, too. All of them have impairments, physical or cognitive. There's an octopus who's lost an arm. And Dory says, oh, you're a septopus. You know, you're Latin. You know what you're saying. There's a beluga whale whose incredibly important echolocation program that helps them navigate throughout the world has totally gone down offline. There is a nurse shark who's nearsighted. And, of course, there's little Nemo, her old friend, with one flipper, not quite as developed as the other. Through mutual need, through mutual help. They unlock their achievement, which is to help Dory find home together. If they wanted to do it on their own, they wouldn't be able to help. But because of that reciprocity, they are able to aid in the quest. This longing for home, this desire for home. Maybe it's something that you felt. I know I felt many different forms, not just in the physical sense, not just in the sense of a place, but a kind of stirring of the heart. When I'm lost, how do I get found? Who do I count on? What are the sources of wisdom? What is reliable? What is trustworthy? What helps me find home again? Many teachers, and I would say I put my lot in with these teachers, who say not all forms of getting lost are the same. And there's some forms lost we'd hope that all people can avoid. And there are some forms of being lost that at certain points in life soulfully, absolutely help us grow are necessary for our full flourishing and development as human beings. There's a temptation in our age, depending upon the teachers that you talk to, a temptation to say, you don't ever have to get lost. Your mastery, your skills, your knowledge, your excellence, your power, your place, whatever it is, you don't ever have to be lost. I would say beware of this trap. And beware these teachers because they're missing something real important about being alive. And there have been teachers who for hundreds, thousands of years who said, you know what? It's okay to be lost. In fact, there's something good at times in being lost. And beware of people who tell you they can keep you from getting lost. Hundreds of years ago, the leader of mystical Judaism in Europe, Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov, was asked by his followers about a new teacher, a new scholar within the Jewish community. And they said, how can we trust him? How can we tell if he's for real? 
And the Baal Shem Tov says, if you ask this teacher, how do we keep intrusive thoughts, thoughts that might feel as if we're getting lost? How do we keep intrusive thoughts at bay during prayer? Ask him this question. If he has an answer for you about how to avoid intrusive thoughts, pay no attention to him. You see, there are some schools of religious, spiritual, secular thought that present doctrine as saving. That the right knowledge will absolutely guarantee our safety. I have nothing against good knowledge. I have nothing against right view. And I don't think there is any perfect knowledge. There is no system so perfect, as I think it was C.S. Lewis said, we don't have to be good as well, too. Our knowledge is always incomplete. I mean, I imagine some of you might have used the following in your wedding ceremonies or you've been at weddings in which you've heard it. First Corinthians 13, Paul from the Christian scriptures. Love is patient. Love is kind, etc., etc. But, you know, that's a wonderful reading, and I'm glad it's cast universally or nearly universally. But uh, here's the thing. Paul's actually making a much deeper point beyond just wedding ceremonies. Not that wedding ceremonies aren't wonderful. Paul is saying that our ability to see the future is limited. Our ability to even know our own lives is limited. That there's a gap here in whatever we consider to be our lives. And at certain points, we're going to be lost. And into that gap, Paul recommends love. That love is more powerful than prophecy, strength, mastery, or knowledge. In our tradition, we call this salvation by character. Which is not to say that Unitarian Universalists are better or more good than anyone else. We are not. It is this, which we articulate in this way at Wellsprings. The burning bush is blazing everywhere. It means that every day we are alive, our lives can evolve, our lives can grow. We talked about it. Actually, you didn't hear me say it because I didn't have my mic on. But that was that point about the potential for a new life within each of us. The burning bush is blazing everywhere. Every day we are alive, we can recognize something, we can learn something that we have not to this point. Salvation by character merely says this, that the world is always going to be bigger than our systems to understand or explain the world are, always bigger than our knowledge, and not just bigger, but sometimes downright scarier, more chaotic. I was in um, a meeting recently that, especially given on uh, what's been going on in our world the last month, two months now, really hit home with me. Someone shared something that they heard from their human resources department at their workplace. It's called VUCA. And if you know what that is, VUCA, it's the world. The world is VUCA. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. What I love about finding Dory is that Dory is a guide to navigating VUCA. She is just a hyper-realized version of ourselves. She forgets things all the time. So do I. I imagine you do too. My knowledge is incomplete. I imagine yours is as well. The thing with Dory, though, is that she absolutely knows this about herself. And because she knows that her knowledge is incomplete, she learns. Over and over and over and over again. That she's going to be lost. 
how she gets found. And that's capacity to learn makes all the difference. I mean, she even comes up with a little moniker that might be familiar, a little heuristic, a way to remember. What would Dory do? WWDW. And actually, I don't think that they're making fun of, you know, what would Jesus do? Because actually, my friends who are Christian, who are sometimes deeply skeptical of what Christianity has become in many forms in the West, have now taken to calling themselves, and I love this phrase, not so much Christians as Jesus followers. That they are trying to walk the path of Jesus. Humility, paying attention to those who are suffering most, asking and granting forgiveness open. See, what would Dory do is saying that, you know, it's not going to be her knowledge that's going to save her. It's going to be her orientation to this life, her character, her resilience, her loyalty and her trust. This is what's going to help her find home. And here's the kind of cool thing about Dory. I recognize this halfway through watching the movie that it is almost I want I don't say a carbon copy because that makes it sound like they're cheating. No, I want to say it's homage. Finding Dory is actually. Next slide. The Wizard of Oz. Dory is Dorothy and Dorothy is Dory. Wanting to find home finding some friends along the way who are all struggling with their own imperfections and together they find their way through like Dory's friends on the yellow brick road. If I only had a brain, if I only had a heart, if I only had some courage. They know what it is to feel lost as well, too. They know what it is to look for something that will help complete them. And here's the cool thing by finding each other. They find their way home and they find that they have what they need. Here's the cool thing about the uh, the lion and the tin man and the scarecrow. It actually correlates perfectly with something from one of the world's great spiritual traditions from Hinduism, from the Bhagavad Gita, from the Gita. One of the central teachings in that tradition is that there are three essential disciplines, three essential yogas. Yoga as movement, as we understand in the West, that's not all of yoga is. Yoga is a core discipline, a core practice that helps us wake up. These three disciplines, wisdom, which had a brain. Devotion, wish I had a heart, and action. I wish I had some courage. See, these things contain knowledge, but they're not knowledge exactly. They're practices. And as if to drive my point home even stronger, remember that it is the great, fearsome, all-powerful, all-knowing Oz who is a total freaking liar. (laughs) He represents that temptation we have as human beings that if only we know enough or believe someone who says they know enough that everything will be okay for us. He's a liar. He does not. Well, inadvertently, he does at the end a little bit of honesty after he's unmasked. Help Dorothy find home. What helps them find home is their openness to themselves and to each other. It allows them to find what they're looking for. And they, and also Dory, and also ourselves, get to come home. When I was watching this movie, a particular teacher was, I say rattling around in my brain, but more is like jumping up in my heart. A guy named Jean Vanier. And some of you might know, he is a Catholic teacher 
originally an Aristotle scholar. Yes, there are such things. But he's not known for being a scholar. He's known for founding first in France and then hundreds of times all throughout the world, a community called in the French, L'Arche, the Ark. Now, what L'Arche does is it brings together people who live together the fullness of their lives, live together, eat together, support one another. People who have cognitive and physical impairments and people who, like Jean Vanier, do not. There's a podcast with the beautiful title called Jean Vanier, The Wisdom of Tenderness. The wisdom of tenderness, that's what kept coming up for me in my heart while I was watching Finding Dory. See, Jean Vanier does not idealize disability. What he says is that every day when he lives in this community as a person who has pretty well-developed cognitive capacity, although at the age of 79, he's starting to recognize, you know what, the physical capacity is not there like what it was before earlier in his life. From being, working with, and loving people who live with impairments, he says his heart is instructed, especially for those of us who believe that our strength, our mastery, our excellence, our knowledge, our race, our place, our power, fill in the blank, will somehow keep us safe. Absolutely safe. Will save us. Jean Vanier says, no, something else has to save us. If we look deep enough, live long enough we are going to have the experience of losing something. A capacity, a love, our own lives. And it's at those moments, as Jean Vanier says, if we allow our hearts to break, then we can find what that famous song says, amazing grace. But it exists on the other side of what we know and what we think. I want to be real clear here. I don't think there's any magic in disability. I don't think there's any magic in loss itself. As if the universe or God or whatever your favorite word is to refer to the element somehow picks us up and says, you're getting the cancer gift. I don't believe it works like that. Not at all. And I do think that there is magic, however, in claiming our experience of lostness. In claiming that experience, knowing it fully as our own, we are able to alchemize despair, lostness, sadness into compassion. And to alchemize despair into compassion is to make the purest, most distilled form of spiritual gold that there is. I saw it a couple of weeks ago written on someone's face. Yes, their words uh, as well. But this person's face. Some of you might know him. If you put up the next slide, please. Dr. Brian Williams. He is the head trauma surgeon at Parkland Hospital in Dallas. It was his job to coordinate the care for all of that dozen or so injured, some grievously so, police officers. That shooting at the end of, yes, a peaceful Black Lives Matter march. Dr. Brian Williams, who spoke honestly of what it is like to be a trauma surgeon, 
and who also has spoken honestly of what his experience is like as a black man in America. That his experiences with police officers have been unfair and unjust and sometimes terrifying. And that he's had a very different experience with police officers than I have, someone with white skin. He said these words at his press conference to the police officers and to the community at large. I support you. I defend you. I will care for you. That doesn't mean I will not fear you. Now, those words are about his experience deeply, truthfully, and he speaks for other people as well, too. But here's the thing. It wasn't just his words, the knowledge that he was conveying. If you saw this press conference, I encourage you to go back and take a look at it. He was nervous. He was edgy. He, his eyes were shifting back and forth. I mean, you know, sometimes when we think of surgeons, and he's a really, really great surgeon, we think of someone who's got equipoise, sturdiness, balance at all moments. But in that moment, he didn't. And that's why I trust him. Because he was real and he was raw and he was open to that VUCA world. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Out of that VUCA place, he spoke a truth for himself and a love for himself and a truth and a love for other people. This willingness to cross boundaries, especially in our hurting world, so in need of healing, this capacity to cross boundaries is what healers do. Sometimes it shows up in the most odd places, like uh, like in an oil rig in the middle of the ocean. I heard a story recently from a podcast called Invisibilia. It's on NPR. And it's about, as the term says, roughnecks. Men who work, live, and sometimes die on oil rigs. A tough job. Now, whatever you might think about the oil and gas industry, I'm going to ask you to set that aside for a moment right now. And just listen to this story. It starts with a man who's 60 years old who has been working as a roughneck on oil rigs for 45 years of his life, since he was 15 years old. This is his life. This is what he knows. One of his first memories is working alongside a friend next to him on an oil rig out in the middle of the ocean. And the pipe, this huge pipe about as big as a story of a building, one story, was fastened, just fastened in place. And then because someone made a mistake, this pipe became unfastened and began spinning and spinning and spinning around. And this man who was being interviewed talked about his friend who was right next to him, whose ankle got caught on this spinning pipe and was whirled around, he said, about 80 times. And to use his words, sorry about the graphic nature of it, eventually his friend's head hit a pipe up above and his head opened like a tomato. Now, that's a terrible story. And what follows next is in some ways worse. He was given 15 minutes to grieve and mourn his friend's loss. Because as the leader of that drill team said, y'all have 15 minutes. Because there is money in that pipe. And we got to get back to work. This is the context of what it's like to be a roughneck in which men are not allowed to admit pain, vulnerability, loss, fear, tears. 
So a number of years after that story happened, there was a desire among the part of the oil companies. This particular one is associated with Shell Oil Company and gas company to go out into the deep water and drill for gas and oil out there. The deep water where there's more oil and more gas and also a lot more danger. And the person who was heading up this uh, Shell Oil expedition got a call from a woman named Claire Neuer, who was the least roughneck person you might ever meet. She's a Holocaust survivor. She was in the 1970s, as the article says, associated with the New Age California healing movement. And Caroline called up the head of this driller, going to head up the team of 100 roughnecks and said, you know what? I read about this and I read about the danger you're all going to be headed into. And I can't give you any knowledge about what it is to drill, but I can also tell you that better knowledge about drilling is not going to help you. Your men have to learn how to trust each other, how to be vulnerable with each other, how to ask for help. This is what will save them. And these hundred roughnecks, while their deck was being built way out in the middle of the ocean, they were pretty resistant to this idea. (laughs) They come from a culture in which one of the young men said, the first time my father, who is a driller himself, First time he sent me to look for a Phillips head screwdriver in his toolbox. I didn't know what that was. And it was not okay for me to ask. And so I stood there stuck because it was not okay for me to admit what I did not know. So men like that and the 60 year old man I mentioned went through this year and a half long training in which they started to tell each other their stories, hesitatingly and then openly. Stories of alcoholic parents, stories of poverty so severe in their childhood that they remember regularly going to bed hungry, stories of their failed marriages. And then remember that man I told you about at the beginning of the story, that 60-year-old guy? The one who had seen his friend die and was giving 15 minutes to grieve him. He was part of one of these groups. And for the first time in decades, he got up and shared his story of the most painful loss in his life. The death of his beloved son as a child. And he told that story. And tears were pouring down his face. And not one man in that room of the other 99 refnecks said, stop it, you crybaby. They just allowed him to weep. So this is powerful enough in and of itself. And you know what? Compared to other deep water oil rigs, accidents were down 84%. On that specific oil rig. Because they learned how to ask for help. As one guy said, I'm glad we don't know the old ways anymore. I'm glad the old ways are gone. This is the willingness to learn. And to grow. First by admitting sometimes how very lost we are. The greatest safety in this life comes only By admitting risk, the greatest designations and destinations any of us will ever arrive at are never already on the maps of our lives. They have to be discovered. 
So yes, this is a Pixar movie, and Dory gets home. It's not going to end tragically. Dory gets home. Sorry to ruin that, but it's a Pixar movie. You probably knew that going in. (laughs) But the home she gets to is not exactly the same home as she remembered it. She gets reunion. But the truth is that she gets reunion because her journey has taught her that she already belongs. She belongs to her own heart. She belongs to the hearts of others. And so she gets to come home. Today, my friends, may you belong to your own hearts and to others' hearts. And I wish that you will get to go home. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Great spiritual source of many names and no name. May we allow ourselves right now, this day, to occupy this ground, this place, whether shaky or steady, whether poised or falling down. May we allow ourselves to occupy this space, this place, this life, even if we don't know all of what we need. May we allow ourselves to admit that. May we allow ourselves to be among those who ask for help and grant help. May we allow our energies, our hearts to join up with that deeper path of healing. That deep, resonant love that is here with us because the truth is our knowledge, our ability to see, our ability to know. It's all incomplete. And so today may love see us home to our own hearts. Amen.